Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, I'll start with some good news, bad news, and then we'll go to the subject matter uh, of this week's webinar, um, which, as we always say, um, you know, the news here is uh, incredibly uh, you know, uh, in flux. So whatever I write as the title for the webinar, the beginning of the week isn't necessarily what's going to be uh, in the middle of the week, even though we are in the midst of the Jewish holidays. And during the Jewish holidays, uh, you know, people go uh, take breaks, even government's uh, offices are relatively empty, or at least work half days, etc. So let's start with the, the good news, which is relatively uh, smaller than the bad news. But uh, today, uh, the Durban anniversary conference was uh, to take place, did take place in New York today. Uh, those who remember the 2001 uh, Durban conference, it actually took place just a few days before 9-11 in Durban, South Africa. It was uh, supposed to be uh, a meeting against racism, intolerance, xenophobia, et cetera, et cetera. And, those who remember, or even those who were in attendance, there were quite a few Jewish uh, organizations, representatives uh, in attendance. It was one of the worst scenes of anti-Semitism at an official event in many, many years. There were pictures of uh, Hitler asking, was he right? Uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion, that uh, anti-Semitic Soviet forgery was handed out. Jewish representatives uh, had to walk out uh, they were physically assaulted uh, uh, in some places around the campuses, uh, certainly verbally assaulted. And basically, as we know today, what happened with that process is really what we're seeing today, BDS. That's where really BDS took a life of its own. That's where the analogy with apartheid uh, uh, you know, really uh, came alive. Uh, really much of what we're seeing today with the constant delegitimization of Israel was born at that event. Uh, 20 years ago. There's been a few other events uh, where Israel has called for uh, certain countries to boycott, and there's been 10, 11, 15 uh, countries, but there was a real success today that 33 nations boycotted the event, and those were mainly European, Western countries who understood that uh, regardless of anything else, uh, the fact that such an important event was hijacked, and that's the only word you can say, can use hijacked by rabid anti-Semites um, is, is something that was incontrolable to them and something that they could not tolerate and they did not uh, attend in any way, shape or form. There were other nations who attended at a lower level, but the fact is that uh, after 20 years, it's clear that the Durban process, which was again set out ostensibly to have a, a very lofty aim of combating or trying to find strategies and work plans to defeat racism, uh, intolerance, xenophobia, and my tayad at one point, even anti-Semitism actually became uh, an extremely hostile event, not just to the state of Israel, to the Jewish people. So 20 years later, 
uh, a very strong diplomatic success by those in the foreign ministry, ambassadors around the world, diplomats, um, and that was quite a, a, a good success today. Um, the bad news, um, uh, I'm sure many of our American followers uh, will have watched closely, is the fact that uh, the, um, this, the, the, the spending bill that was making its way through Congress that passed yesterday had uh, included uh, funding for Israel's Iron Dome. As we know, that's a defensive uh, system that uh, shoots rockets that are fired from Gaza or sometimes uh, from the north or elsewhere. Uh, out of the air and saves lives, saves real Israeli lives. And the fact that a defensive system could create such controversy has certainly, let's just put it mildly, piqued the interest of uh, Israelis. What uh, originally, from our understanding, uh, was a way to try and get Republicans, uh, certain Republicans, to come across the aisle and uh, support this Democrat-led spending bill ended up uh, actually embarrassing um, you know, those supporters who thought that uh, pro-Israel Republicans will, will certainly support uh, a budget which includes uh, Iron Dome. The reason they needed the Republicans is because of the extreme left in the Democratic Party, the, uh, the so-called progressives, liberals, uh, the squad uh, mainly, who, would, uh, who objected in the end to it. And they said that they were not going to vote for it, so it had to be taken out. Now, What's going to happen with this is uh, undoubtedly uh, is, uh, the, the, uh, the funds will pass. There's no doubt there's an overwhelming majority in Congress uh, to fund uh, Iron Dome, especially a defensive uh, system like Iron Dome. So it will get passed and there's been reassurances uh, to the Israeli side that it will get funded even as, uh, even as quickly as next week. But what it has done is sent a very strong message and it's certainly something that uh, Jerusalem is worried about. Um, it is something that uh, a lot of Israelis have been talking for a while, especially over the last few years, whether Israel is losing or has lost the Democratic Party. And certainly Israel has not lost the Democratic Party because the overwhelming majority of Democrats are still favorable to, towards Israel. But there is a growing wing in the Democratic Party, which you know, was largely in recent years, noise, background noise. But what they have managed to do here is really threaten a democratic-led process, a democratic-led spending bill, a very important bill uh, for the Democratic Party over its objection and rejectionism of something that could save Israeli lives. Now, that is certainly something which has worried Israelis. There's been a lot of talk uh, in Israel about who's to blame some Many have blamed, especially in the current government, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, for his open embrace of the Republican Party. Not to say he shouldn't embrace the Republican Party, but at the cost of the Democratic Party. Uh, some point to the way uh, President Obama was treated by Netanyahu. Again, you know, even those who understood that President Obama was certainly far from being the most pro-Israel uh, uh, president there's ever been, um, to go to Congress and speak. Uh, over his objections, over the objections of the administration, um, and what was seen as uh, by some as a, uh, lecturing him in the Oval Office, uh, the open embrace, as I said, of the Republican Party that led up to the Trump administration and the Netanyahu government really uh, put, hedged a lot of its bets on the Trump administration, and quite frankly, 
came out uh, with quite a lot, you know, the Abraham Accords, uh, recognition of the Golan, recognition of Jerusalem, moving the US embassy to, to Jerusalem and, and much more. But uh, now there's a democratic uh, administration and you know, a former vice president who, who was there during the Obama years and has actually been there for many decades before that. Um, and again, this is someone who's, you know, President Biden is not anti-Israel. Let's, let's make that clear. He has a long, strong relationship uh, with Israel. Is it where every Israeli would like him to be? Absolutely not. But, you know, uh, he's certainly not someone that could be uh, tainted with an anti-Israel brush, but he is the leader of a party which has a growing extremist faction uh, that is prepared to overrule its own interests, party interests, or at least, you know, try and push as far as they can uh, for something that's Israel related. And this is something which certainly is going to send a lot of shockwaves uh, through the Israeli decision-making, opinion-shaping uh, establishment. Uh, what can Israel be doing? What should Israel be doing to try and at least, uh, you know, bring back as much as possible the Democratic Party, give them as much attention as they would the Republican Party. And it's certainly uh, something which is uh, being talked about uh, at the government level. Uh, we've heard a few people come out, uh, Nachman Shai, the diaspora minister, talked about that openly. Uh, he's obviously someone on the left of the government, so it's, it's easier for him. But I think even on the right of the government, uh, they'll be looking at ways how they can not sure necessarily placate the, uh, the Democratic Party, but certainly look at ways that they can bring more and more members back. So they're to try and sideline on Israel related issues. Obviously, Israel doesn't get uh, involved with non Israel related issues, but to try and sideline the extremists in the party, the squad, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something that Israel is going to have to keep an eye on. And we certainly haven't seen the last of it. Um, the squad certainly uh, improved its numbers at the last, uh, um, or at least the, 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 you know, those on that side uh, improved their numbers in the last uh, election, and there's a worry that they could improve in future elections. So Israel has to think very carefully what it can be doing, what it should be doing uh, to try and bring back some level of uh, bipartisanship, which Israel enjoyed for many, many decades. Here domestically, as I said at the beginning, uh, it's a little bit quiet. The Knesset's not in session. Uh, we are now in this period of Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and now we're in the middle of Sukkot. Um, in Israel, you ask anybody to do something, it's Chagim after the holidays. So much is put off. Um, so there's not that much going on, but there is, of course, still political intrigues. And the, the biggest one of the last uh, week or so was what will the position of Defence Minister Benny Gantz be uh, in the future, in the near future? Uh, it was reported that he has met many times with opposition leader and former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Don't forget they were, uh, in theory at least, in a rotation agreement during the last government uh, where Benny Gantz was alternate Prime Minister and was supposed to take up the reins after I believe it was a year and a half, if I remember correctly, and from the beginning as I as I. Uh, predicted there was no chance that that was ever going to happen. And a lot of people are saying, you know, fool me once, you know. Uh, so, but I, I, it's, it's the, the offer is clearly on the table. Uh, former Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu's uh, people made it clear that the offer is on the table. It's not clear exactly what the offer is, whether it is rotation or just Benny Gantz as Prime Minister, but they did uh, say that Benny Gantz was offered to be prime minister of a right-wing government. 
Now, there are people in the party, in the Likud party, who would uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, have a problem with that. Uh, um, uh, Neo Barakat, who is a rising force in the Likud, and possibly even the second most popular player at the moment behind Netanyahu, although probably that gap is closing, uh, has said that that's not acceptable to him, just as a six-person party referring to Naftali Bennett. Uh, Yamina party uh, cannot rule a country, also a party with eight seats, which is Benny Gantz, cannot rule a party Likud as the largest uh, party in this, uh, this would-be coalition, he, he would suggest should uh, rule the government. But, uh, so it's, it's unclear exactly what's on the table, but Benny Gantz has gone to great pains. He's gone on many, many interviews, and he has never outright denied that he would ever accept it. He said, I want to be prime minister. Usually sometimes when they ask people in this, at this point, do you want to be prime minister? They said, I wasn't born to it. You know, it'd be nice, but I'm happy with my position. He said, I want to be prime minister. My belief is that uh, Benny Gantz is playing a little bit of a game here. He understands that while the offer certainly would be on the table and Netanyahu would like nothing more than to break up the government and even hand the keys to Benny Gantz from that day onwards, I think Benny Gantz now understands that there would not be a day without Netanyahu trying to topple uh, Benny Gantz, and especially when, you know, when the numbers are just not in Gantz's favour, um, I think you know, it would be a very tumultuous uh, and even poison chalice, and probably, possibly at least could push him off uh, the political map completely. Um, but what it does do is it, it gives him leverage, more leverage than anyone else in the current government, because it's clear that no other party uh, could be enticed by Netanyahu. Um, to join him and form uh, an alternative government. Um, but it gives Gantz a lot of leverage, and we've seen him use it in the last few weeks, whether it's a meeting with uh, Mahmoud Abbas or, or what have you. Um, and it could be with the budget coming up for discussions in the committee meetings, and then on the second and third reading, uh, that Benny Gantz will use that to his favor. There's a lot of other things that may come up in the next uh, few weeks, and Benny Gantz has a, has a major card to play. Uh, whether he will play it or not uh, remains to be seen. But my belief is that, uh, I mean, you never know, you know, no one expected Benny Gantz to accept Netanyahu's offer last time. So it's, it's not inconceivable. And there is a worry, I can tell you that there is a worry from many of the leaders of this government that Benny Gantz is playing them and it's just a matter of time before he leaves. There is that genuine worry and concern. And obviously these people know more about what's going on than I do. My belief is it's more of a threat. Uh, it could happen at one point, but at the moment it's more of a threat. It's uh, leverage. Uh, you don't necessarily need a budget to topple this government if an alternative government is put together in a no confidence vote, that's the new system in Israel, then that government can then be voted in. So Benny Gass doesn't necessarily have to make trouble uh, in the upcoming budget uh, vote. He could do this at any point uh, in the months uh, coming after that. Um, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on any of the issues raised or anything else in your minds. All right, thank you so much. So the first question in is, uh, what has been the reaction to, in Israel to President Biden's speech at the UN yesterday, uh, specifically both on the two-state solution and the JCPOA? Nothing new. Um, it's, it's clear that this speech wasn't necessarily uh, you know, uh, geared with, with Israel in mind, it was to try and 
uh, you know, turn a fresh page with the international community. It was a good opportunity for President Biden to try and differentiate himself from his predecessor, Donald Trump, in many, many ways. And obviously, those are two ways. So I don't think there's anything that we'd have learned that's new. Um, as far as the JCPOA, it's clear that the ball is in Iran's court and Iran is quite happy to not deal with this at the moment. We also saw uh, President uh, Raisi's uh, speech. Again, nothing particularly new. Uh, they're trying to reach out, trying to show that there's some moderation there in the, in the extremist government. Um, but what is clear is that um, there is uh, patience running out on the American side. They know that uh, Iran is trying to play them. There are some interesting meetings going on between national security advisors of Israel and the US. There is talk of a plan B if the JCPOA talks do not uh, uh, you know, return uh, sooner rather than later. Again, that may be a threat to try and bring Iran back to the table, but certainly from the Israeli side, it's it's more than a threat. It's, it's a chance to work with their American counterparts on at least trying to move the needle a little bit towards this can't go on forever. It's clear that the Iranians have moved on quite a lot in the last few months and they're stalling for time. Um, so, you know, Israel's certainly worried and it's trying to, uh, engage the Americans and express their worry and show that the Iranians have no interest in coming back to the table and they're playing for time. And it does seem like there's some exasperation on the American side. And uh, there's an opportunity for Israel, hopefully, to try and uh, bring its case to the American administration. Understood. Thank you. And you mentioned that Israel the, is trying to discuss how to bring back the Democrat Party. Uh, what options are being discussed? And Jack Wasserman asks, is it not the responsibility of American Democrat Democrats to expose the antics of the squad and keep them in check? Um, well, first of all, there's no, there's no real tactics. It's about outreach. It's about trying to get to know each other. It's about to try and to you know, put back those hist historic ties. Israel's had his historically good ties with the Democratic Party. Um, it's trying to put them back. Some of the, you know, the stalwarts of pro-Israel work in the Democratic Party are reaching towards the end of their career. You know, you look at the numbers, you look at the age, uh, you know, some of the most, uh, uh, you know, pro-Israel members of the Democratic Party are in their final years of office, perhaps, whereas the more hostile uh, members of the Democratic Party are some of the youngest. Uh, if you look at the age uh, makeup of the squad and some of the others, they're pretty young. They've got their whole career ahead of them. So that's certainly going to be a worry. So Israel has to, uh, to, to start looking, especially at new uh, congressmen and women, uh, to see where they are, to see how they can be uh, outreached to, um, to try and change uh, the conversation a little bit about Israel. It's something that Israel certainly has to be involved with. It's something that the American and the Democratic Party uh, uh, certainly also has to has to do a bit of work and, and and there are many organizations in america that are trying to work with the with the democratic members of congress to try and um you know bring them on israel issues not necessary to fight the squad because you know at the end of the day american politics trumps everything and the numbers in congress are quite tight as we saw with the uh, the spending bill yesterday so no democratic leaders can ignore the squad and just say, well, you know, we're not going to work with you, just leave them on the side. The numbers uh, don't work that way. And they are a growing force in the Democratic Party. So it, it would be, you know, 
it would be silly for any Israeli to try and reach out to say, well, you know, don't work with these people because that's just not the reality. It's not their place to say it, but it certainly isn't the reality. Um, that, that faction, that wing is there and it's probably growing for the near future. Um, so Israel has to try and work with its close friends in the Democratic Party and some of those who sit uh, between to try and peel them away from the, the far left because that will be where the, the, the fight is in, in that sort of uh, middle ground. Uh, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are, I, I wouldn't say creating plans, it sounds a little bit uh, too much, but certainly looking at where they can uh, do great outreach to meetings. Uh, that's certainly something that the um, the, uh, the people involved uh, uh, in the Israel embassy in DC will be looking at uh, especially carefully. Thank you. Mayor Herzl Melmed asks, how do you assess the Bennett C LCC meeting? Well, it's, it's interesting uh, that it happened relatively quickly um, into uh, uh, Bennett's office, uh, Bennett's term, we're, we're celebrating or commemorating or <laughs> somewhat commiserates that it's uh, 100 days in office. Um, Egypt is an incredibly uh, important strategic partner, especially with what's going on in Gaza and Hamas. So it'll be a, it would have been a, a friendly meeting. Um, and I'm sure a lot of issues on the table. Uh, frontally, I'm sure the Egyptians would love to say that they're engaging, re-engaging the Palestinian issue. We saw Mahmoud Abbas, we saw Abd, uh, King Abdullah uh, go down there. But I think behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on uh, on the security level, on Hamas, how Hamas can be weakened, uh, what, uh, what can be done to at least alleviate the, the suffering of the average uh, uh, Gazan Palestinian. Uh, but it's very, very important that these meetings take place at the highest levels, because for many years, it wasn't taking place at the highest levels. And the fact that it took place relatively publicly uh, on both sides uh, is, is a good sign. It's certainly a good sign for Israel that, you know, uh, in, in, this, in this day and age, that uh, an Egyptian prime uh, president and Israeli prime minister can meet so openly and publicly. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, from Sandro Bilastrano, uh, would you kindly comment on the potential sale of Iron Dome to Saudi Arabia? Um, it's not really for me to say, so I'm going to avoid that one, but I'm sure it's not something that Israel necessarily uh, has a problem with. Thank you. Uh, Eric B. asks, what is the status of passing a budget? Well, I, as I said, we're in recess at the moment. Uh, when we get back, uh, I believe it is the beginning of October. I can't remember the exact date. It's going to be frenetic. Uh, that's really where every focus, focal point is going to be at the moment. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it passed through its first reading, which was already a success and gained momentum for this uh, coalition. Now it goes to the committee where every point can be debated. The interesting thing is, uh, it's going to a committee at the moment that is not populated by opposition uh, members. So in theory, if nothing happens, it can go through very, very quickly because the opposition, there's, there's a bit of a, a disagreement to say the least, uh, which is getting to be a bit of a fight. The way it works um, uh, in Israel is after elections are called and governments are created and coalition, et cetera, et cetera, but then the committees are populated and usually the government, depending on its size and strength, uh, gains however many seats it believes that it uh, has over the opposition. Well, we know that this government is relatively weak, only has one seat more. 
but uh, what they've tried to do on important committees is give themselves a two-seat gap. Uh, the Likud-led opposition has complained. It's even gone to the Supreme Court over this, and we know Likud isn't necessarily a fan of the Supreme Court, which some have uh, you know, talked about the irony of that. And the Supreme Court uh, has said, you've got to work it out. This is not for us to get involved with. Um, so there's an offer on the table at the moment. Uh, the opposition have not taken it up. They're trying to act that it's better not to appear. But I think that in the end, something will be worked out because it just wouldn't look good for either party if it just passed through without any objections, any opposition. But at the moment, as things stand, it could just, uh, you know, at the moment, there's only coalition members on the crucial committees. Then it goes back for the second and third vote. But this all has to happen by that November deadline. If it is not passed, this government falls automatically. Uh, but at the moment, there's a lot to, uh, of optimism that it will pass. There'll be more uh, compromises. There'll be more uh, disagreements within the coalition about this particular article. That article has to be taken out. Uh, but it, uh, as I've said quite a few times, there's no one, it's in no one's interest in this coalition uh, for this government to fall so early without anyone really having too many achievements. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, does the PEED favor a Palestinian consulate in Jerusalem? And what is the likelihood of that happening when the Knesset returns? Well, it does seem that the American administration uh, really want that to happen. What they have understood that it shouldn't happen, or can't happen before the budget passes because it will create too much, too much bad feeling. As we know, this government has got the left wing, it's got right wing. Um, so no one really wants to see that fight happening. And the Americans have understood that and they've, they've pulled back from that. It is something the Americans do seem to want to uh, <clears throat> push ahead regardless because it is a commitment that they've made. Uh, you know, President Biden did make that commitment. I'm sure he, his people have made that commitment to uh, Ahmed Abbas, but it's something that the Israeli government is vigorously opposing. Even the centrist or even center-left are saying, you know, it, it's uh, going back on the recognition of Jerusalem. Um, we've heard that that particular point was is not something that the Americans uh, believe. They say this has nothing to do with Israel's sovereignty, um, but it's something that would certainly not go down well with the majority of this coalition, obviously the far left. In fact, uh, some, I mean, we, we had the Arab list, which is outside of the coalition, write a letter to the American administration demanding its reopening immediately. So obviously there's an interest on that particular, uh, from that particular viewpoint uh, opening, but uh, I think it will uh, at some point, uh, probably be done in coordination with the government at a point which is, uh, with, with a uh, small amount of friction as possible. And maybe something will be done. Maybe there'll be a quid pro quo to try and distract or deflect from it uh, for the government. But uh, it's not going to happen, I believe, before the budget. Uh, and maybe not even in the days after. As I said, there may be an opportune moment uh, decided discreetly by both sides. Thank you. And how worried is Israel about the potential collapse of Lebanon on its northern border? It's a, it's a great concern. And that's why you even see the extraordinary you know, statements of Israeli ministers that they're prepared to help uh, Lebanon because you know, a failed state on its northern border <clears throat> is certainly not one that any, <clears throat> any nation uh, would like to see. And especially we see Iran try to take advantage by 
trying to ship oil into the country and Hezbollah obviously trying to take credit for that. So anything uh, which really, you know, we see all, all over the world, and we've seen it in Afghanistan recently, we saw in Iraq and other places, you know, whenever a state is crumbling, we know extremists step into that uh, vacuum. Uh, not that uh, Lebanon was exactly, you know, Hezbollah or Iran influence-free before that, but certainly Iran sees it an even greater opportunity, even though Hezbollah is certainly not necessarily popular at the moment, but uh, uh, Hezbollah is still a very strong movement in Lebanon. They're still um, a, if not the decision maker. Um, so it's certainly not something that Israel wishes to see, uh, especially on its northern and very fragile northern border. Thank you. And going back to one of your first points you made with the, the Durban uh, conference, Aviva Klein-Frank asked, did Israel err in responding indifferently to Gihan Sadat's statement in Mexico declaring Zionism racist? And did Israel not rate the inscription on the wall in Durban's statements and the inscription on the wall in dangers in these statements in universities, thereby expanding the institutions that adopted these views and the many anti-Israel speeches spread? I'll be honest with you, no. Um, I was in government uh, from 2009, and I remember speaking to quite a few high-level officials who were supposed to be involved in Hasbara and uh, Israel's uh, view in the world, uh, and talked to them about BDS delegitimization, and uh, I was told there was no such thing. Uh, Israel certainly was very late to the party on this. Israel thought uh, originally that it was just a, a, you know, a lot of noise, some non-coordinated individuals, and it was caught quite late to this. Uh, Israel had closed down much of its uh, communications, Hasbara, if you like, uh, departments, um, so it certainly wasn't ready. And also, it hadn't been monitoring sufficiently what was going on, that this was a coordinated and concerted effort. Um, and Durban certainly caught a lot of, uh, even Jewish, American Jewish organizations were horrified. I, I've spoken to a lot of people who were there uh, at the time, and they said they feared for their safety. And they certainly, they, they, they knew it was going to be bad because one of the preliminary conferences was hosted by, it hosted in Tehran. And, uh, but they didn't, no one realized going into that, uh, that it was going to be that bad, that it was going to feel so unsafe for a Jew, not even a, a, a you know, pro-Israel organization, just a Jewish humanitarian organization, so unsafe for them to even be there and to see pictures of Hitler around the uh, areas and protocols, the elders of Zion and the, the abuse that they received. So uh, it caught a lot of people uh, by surprise that, and probably we've been playing catch up ever since. Um, so it, it's something which certainly is on the agenda today. Israel has tried and trying a lot to counter the BDS delegitimization narrative, the apartheid narrative. Uh, one could argue whether it's winning or losing, we could spend many webinars discussing that. It hasn't really had an effect on Israel's economy at this point, but certainly on how many people around the world, especially in the West, view Israel. One could argue that there have been some green shoots of success, especially on places like university campuses, uh, like the questioner mentioned. Uh, but Israel and many pro-Israel organizations are trying to fight back, and at the end of the day, uh, I believe that we'll have uh, some successes in the years ahead. All right, well, thank you for that positive end note there. <laughs> We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time thank to you. update us this week.
Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday for a webinar with Benjamin, Benjamin Baird discussing Turkey's political espionage in America with Sam Westrop as your host. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.